Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Uh, the focus on the offense with, with the struggles last year, there's going to be a, a lot of focus on the, on, on the hitting coach. Just uh, what in your minds made Eric Chavez uh, the right choice for that position? We interviewed a, a lot of really strong candidates uh, for, for that position. Um, you know, as Buck and I talked through that process, uh, one of the things that, or one of the themes that we kind of kept coming back to was, you know, the, the mindset, the approach. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that, that kind of steered us in, in a direction of um, some experience, you know, living and dying in the batter's box, for lack of a better term. Um, and so, um, you know, that that's how, you know, we, we ultimately landed on uh, landed on Eric was just that ability to um, put together a plan for, you know, attacking a pitcher, um, knowing what that that individual is trying to do and really thinking through an at bat and an approach in that bat more than, let's say, the technical aspects of the swing or, um, uh, you know, that that in turn, I know we, you didn't ask about about uh, Jeremy, but but that's kind of the compliment that we went for um, was some technical analysis to kind of to kind of blend with, you know, years of, uh, of experience. I think, I think Garrett's ability to, he's well-rounded. He he's receptive to things. He's also, Hey, it's a time of, Hey, let's go hit all that's fine. Now we got to go hit, you know, when the game, he's very protective of the game uh, itself and, and what it, what it entails being a good major league hitter. But uh, I, I just love his sense of urgency, his energy level, but he's also uh, got some reality of the, you know, one of the problems a lot of coaches have is they forget how hard the game was to play and how bad they were on a given night. Eric, uh, you know, there's a fine line between empathy and sympathy, and I think he, uh, we had some great candidates. Eric, 
uh, brought some things that we thought was were were in need of, and uh, and has some background in in being a part of the New York uh, sports culture. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, January the 30th, 2022, of course. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And I want to thank our good friends over at Fansided, our good podcasting partners, and of course, the good folks over at RisingApple.com for their support of the show. Welcome into another edition of the program. And yes, it is NFL Championship Sunday. So while I'm recording this, you guys very well might be watching some football, but it's all about the Mets. It's all about baseball. Yes, I had to go out and snowblow and do that yearly pilgrimage of, you know, usually it's not 18 inches of snow, but that's what we got out here on Long Island, 18 inches of snow. And the only saving grace is I looked at the calendar is I said to myself, well, 18 inches, we had, what, about another six or seven inches a couple of weeks back. That gives me about 25. That's usually around the what you could expect in a winter here in New York, at least in 2022 or the last few years. So maybe we're done. And what I usually turn to is pitchers and catchers, which is just a couple of weeks away. Valentine's Day, that's kind of the demarcation line. The Super Bowl coming up. That's the demarcation line where you put the football in the past. Yeah, you still have the NHL. Yeah, you still have the NBA. But baseball's back. And by February 1st, which is Wednesday, we'd have we'd be 60 days into the lockout. So who knows what's going to happen? And I'm not going and I continue to tell this every week. I'm not even going to get into it. There was a point where I wanted to get into it. I don't even think anybody cares. Like I think everybody's like, "Hey, figure out the pie." Make it equitable for both sides. Uh, I know that there's a lot out there that, or a lot of fans out there that are more on the players' side than the owners. I think there's a lot on both sides to be discussed. But it seems like there's another meeting tomorrow. They're talking about court economic issues. Ultimately, that's what's going to get a deal done. All the other stuff, the DH, playoff teams, all these other appetizers to a deal, they're just bargaining chips. They're ins and they're outs. And that's not what's going to get this over the goal line to use a football term. So anyway, uh, I will be honest with you, and we're going to talk about a couple issues here tonight. It's just me. So it's going to be one of those long form solo Mike Silver Talking Mets podcast uh, type of uh, shows. I think some very interesting information came out about last year's team, and I'd like to always admit when I'm wrong. But the information that came out in a column by John Hopper proved that I was wrong, way wrong, back in the spring. And then Billy Epler and uh, Buck Showalter did a press conference earlier in the week and talked about their new coaching staff. I think there was some interesting nuggets in there, as well as 
I think both, more so Billy Epler, I don't want to say he put his chips to the center of the table like Brody Van Wagenen, but Billy Epler sounded extremely confident and feeling really good about where his team is at at this point, even before the lockout ends and we potentially see a frenzy of more activity. And it sounded like the Mets might be done harpooning a big whale. They might be looking more or dialing back more when it comes to their roster. So are they good enough? I'll get into that. I, I do fun with numbers. Now, when I do fun with numbers later, it's it's the equivalent. Just prepare you. This is not NASA over here at the Talking Mets podcast. This is me back of the little grocery bag, pad in my office, whatever you want to call it. That's the kind of fun with numbers that we do. But let's start, and you heard coming in both Billy Epler and Buck Showalter talk about Eric Chavez, the new hitting coach for the Mets. And I'll start by saying how I was wrong, because if you remember back, oh, what was it, right after the St. Louis series in late April, was it, early May, when Chili Davis was fired in right after a game, and I basically said, hey, look, this is a new analytics-driven front office. Chili Davis was resistant. And I thought Chili Davis, by the way, was a good hitting coach. I didn't want him to get fired. And the Mets proved in 2019 under his tutelage and with some good young players that they could hit. So when that happened, I said, I I don't agree with the move, but I understand Zach Scott wanted to put his stamp on the team with Zach Scott running the show and Alderson kind of as his protege. You knew this was going to be a team that went all analytics. And it sounds like reading the column over at SNY.TV, John Hopper said that because of the criticism of how behind the Mets were in an analytics environment in their history. Uh, there was a sensitivity by Steve Cohen to make sure that it became front and center. So what happened? The Mets went way, 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 way to the other side. And guess what? It didn't work. Actually, it had the opposite effect. And if you remember, if you remember back, oh, early October, when we had our friend Rich Mancuso on, and we talked about it, and I heard some people email me, oh, you guys sound like two old people yelling at the clouds. Well, I'm not anti-analytics, but the thought at that point was the Mets are going to go really all in on this analytics thing, and you know that's what they're going to be. They're going to be analytics with money and, and the kind of people. I mean, it's almost going to be like a, a hedge fund, just like Steve Cohen's primary business. And then... Billy Epler was hired, and what a wild 60 days it's been leading up to the other day. But but first, before we get to that, I think after reading what John Harper said about how the players were so overloaded with information, by the way, that was talked about on this show. So I'll take a little bit of a I was wrong about them because I said, Chili Davis, I said, don't worry about it. I didn't agree with it. It was no big deal, right? Not going to determine the Mets' 2021 season. Maybe it didn't, because the Mets probably weren't good enough with all their injuries, and clearly they weren't because their results didn't show. But I think it's fair to say that the firing of Chili Davis shifted the team, which they were slumping in April, we know that, but shifted the team too early in the season and shifted them to the point where, A, they were deemed failures 
pretty much. I mean, when you fire a coach, you're saying that the approach doesn't work. Then they were overloaded with information. One of the quotes in the article was that everybody seemed like they were Cy Young. And there were days where the Mets, it was true. I mean, they couldn't, you know, they would be very mediocre pitchers that would be shutting them down. I'm like, how is this happening? This is a team I didn't, I didn't think offense was anywhere close to being their issue. I was worried about the starting pitching. I was worried about the bullpen. I was worried about injuries like we do every year. But everybody seemed to be Cy Young, and it's, it manifested itself, and it kind of became a theme, and they never were able to overcome it. Now, Javi Baez came over and certainly helped uh, quite a bit, and I think that's the only reason why this thing didn't get really ugly offensively because I think he made a big difference on the offensive side. He certainly did in his contract uh, payday stretch run. But it goes to show what an important decision Steve Cohen made along with and maybe Sandy Alderson was pushed back a little bit on this in hiring Billy Epler. Because the more you hear Billy Epler and you hear Buck Showalter, the more you know that this blend of analytics and scouting and all the other human elements. I mean, just listen to how they talked about Eric Chavez and Eric Chavez's approach to hitting where, hey, look, being there, knowing how hard it is. I think Buck uses the term, there's a fine line between sympathy and empathy. Also knowing that you know, you could have all the heat maps that you want. You could have all the percentage of what someone's going to throw you want. You've got to watch the pitcher. I kept telling everybody, and I said it, and I think Kevin Kern, give the man credit. He was on months ago saying, hey, Louis Ross never looked at, at the field. He was always in a, in a, in a spread in his binder. I mean, they used to call Joe Girardi the binder. Maybe they should have called Roas the binder. But they always were in that iPad. And no disrespect to Hugh Quattlebaum. Look, the guy was brought in, gave, given a, a huge opportunity. The guy never played at a high level of, of you know, he's not a big leaguer. I think he might have made double-A, triple-A. I can't remember. But all they were there, to ta- he was tasked to do, is to throw these guys in the iPad and throw numbers and whatnot. All I, look, look I'm not a high-level athlete. Never was, never will be. But I do know sports is as much about adrenaline, muscle memory, and talent than anything else. You've got to let the players play. And there can't be that. Any sport, whether it's the NFL, the NBA, but especially baseball, if you're up there in the batter's box thinking, doing probabilities, you're doing the wrong thing. And the results showed. And now you're going into the 2022 season with some young hitters that were part of that, including one that, you know, centering his his prime, which who probably won't be back in Michael Conforto, and you begin to wonder that, that one decision, to j- instead of just taking a step back and letting things breathe and allowing the information to kind of be digested in the manner that the player felt it needed to be, um, was that one move what undid the 2021 Mets? I-, I still stand by saying it's hard to sit here and say a hitting coach is, the, you know, would have been the, the, the end-all, be-all. But certainly it was a symbol of what was wrong with the with the Mets. And look, I thought, you know, especially as you head into the, the trade deadline, I thought Zach Scott did a good job. But as it was pointed out by Harper, an anal- he ran an anal- analytics department. And I always felt, and, and you could go back and you can listen to this, so this is not a, a second guess, Zach Scott was a very good number two. I never felt he was a guy that could run an organization. And he wasn't there to do that. He was there. Jared Porter was there to do that. So we go back to last year and we go back to 
the historic undertaking where Steve Cohen comes on and they got to put all this together on the fly. And then the general manager gets in hot water and gets fired. And then they put Scott in there and, and all the things that happen. Number one, Louis Ross had no shot at being successful. I mean, it was even pointed out that Rojas himself was starting to sit in the meetings because he felt it was too much. But here's a young manager, no contract, new owner, uh, terrible situation, terrible situation for for him. Um, So they really didn't set him up for success. And I think down the road, Louis Ross will be a good manager. I think at some point the Mets will regret that, but that's water under the bridge. The good news here then is they've learned very quickly from that mistake. And I I was convinced, and I go back to that early October uh, show with Rich Mancuso, our friend Rich Mancuso. And I said, this team is going to be the hedge fund Mets, the analytics Mets. We're just going to have to deal with it. It's going to be nondescript guys in the, in the dugout, analytics up and down the organization, uh, a, general, a young general manager. You know, it's all going to be that. And it's not. And the more, every time Epler and Buck Showalter sit down and speak to the media, and I sat and I listened to the 30-somewhat, whatever minute, Zoom conference the other day. They impressed me more and more. We know who Buck Showalter was. We really did. I was, uh, I was traveling this week, and I had a lot of time on an airplane going out to the Southwest. And I, I'm not done with it, but I was listening to the audiobook. Blood in the Garden, uh, which was about the 1990s Knicks. And I know, again, you guys, I bring it up a lot. Maybe you roll your eyes. Maybe you hate the Knicks, whatever. But if you listen to that, read it, listen to the audiobook, whatever your preference is. If you listen to how that team was built under Chekitz, Grunfeld, first Riley, then Van Gundy, all the principles that you're hearing these two guys talk about, Billy Epler and Buck Showalter, in a modern way, are being implemented. I mean, Buck is here talking about preparation for, well, what happens if we have a rainout or we can't do a workout in spring training? What happens if spring training is delayed a week, two weeks? What if we start March 1st? He and Billy Epler were going down to Port St. Lucie this week to kind of tour the field. I think that was something that Joel Sherman talked about, how Buck really likes the synergy of how things are laid out during spring training. This is a very detailed, prepared organization. And if you go to that book, Chris Herring, the author, does an excellent job of talking about how Pat Riley and how, in turn, a Jeff Van Gundy, who learned under him, was so obsessively detail-oriented. Now, you're going to a different era where three-hour practices daily, you know, these, these killer shoot-arounds, all these uh, conditioning drills— Nobody would ever question it. I'm not suggesting that all of a sudden this is going to be the 1990s Knicks and Buck Showalter is going to have all the the Mets running suicides up and down the sidelines. That's not what I'm saying. Every player has their process, and and the new wave is sports science, which is also about keeping players healthy. But what I like is that, and it goes back to this tree that all these guys come from, whether it be Epler through Cashman and Gene Michael or Showalter, who goes back to Billy Martin. Billy Martin goes back to... Um, Casey Stengel, and then I think Casey even for Joe McCarthy. I mean, these are legendary baseball guys. Um, I keep, every time I hear these guys talk, and I know it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't amount to a hill of beans because the record's zero and zero, and until we see results, all this is a speculation. But the more I hear these guys, I've never felt this good. 
And I and I felt good. Look, I always liked Brody Van Wagenen, but I thought the Mets needed someone to sell the team and manage the crazy finances with the agents, and I thought he was the right guy at that time. And I was willing to give the young Boston pedigree GMs a chance. I really was. Um, but all along, I'm a guy that is pretty much old school in the sense where this game is not that complicated. Let's face it. You see the ball, you hit the ball, you pitch the ball. You play good defense. I mean, that's what it really comes down to. We tend to complicate it, and there's a lot of good tools out there, whether it be on the health and science side, the analytics side. But we got to know each player and how each player is. The best analogy I could give you, and I'm going to give you, I'm kind of getting into pop culture today, right? Does anybody watch the show Billions? I don't know if you do, but if you watch... The last we're up to season six. Uh, Damian Lewis is no longer on the show, but um, is a you know his number two Wags Michael Wagner uh, is you know one of those guys that runs you know the sales team basically over there at Axe Capital, which is no longer, but you know Wags is still on the show. So the new guy taking over, Mike Prince, is having trouble connecting with. The, the, the sales, basically the sales team, you know, the traders. And they all, you know, he goes through, why do I need you? And Wags, you know, listens to what he says about each one of the individuals. And essentially, Wagner stops and Michael Wagner stops and says, well, you don't know this about this guy and you don't know this about her and you don't know this. And he goes into knowing the depths of what makes each of those people tick. And that's exactly what good coaching and with blending analytics and people is all about. And that's what I hope having a guy with the decades of experience of a Buck Showalter, the mix on the staff of guys who have played the game, like a Jeremy Hefner, like an Eric Chavez, along with some of the guys that may have played at a, a, a lower level, um, um, like a Jeremy Barnes, but can bring a different component. From generationally, you have guys like Glenn Sherlock and Joey Korff, who are from a totally different generation. Brian Schneider from another generation. It's a, it's a big coach, you know, Wayne Kirby. You have a very good mix, and I think what is very encouraging to me is that after reading that article about John Harper and seeing how bad things went with the Mets hitters, and anybody who watched these guys knew they were miserable at times throughout the season. Miserable. This team won with pitching and defense almost every night. Very rarely did they win with offense. Uh, that the Mets got it. And Steve Cohen knew things were bad, and he knew what to do to fix it. Do we give Sandy Alderson credit? Well, I don't know, because he's kind of where things went awry, but I'm not here to bash Sandy. So, again, uh, I know we're kind of getting into a major dead zone here when it comes to the team. We're in the lockout, spring training, there's no end in sight. But every time these guys stand in front of the media, I feel like it's authentic. There's no BS. Um, it's good baseball conversation. They don't give away too much, but they give you enough. I mean, I really think that's part of where the media is going to enjoy working with these guys because it's really about baseball, and it's about transparent, open, and honesty about what they're all about. Now, they're not going to go and tell you everything. They're not going to go on there and and, and some of the unnamed sources that were in John Harper's article. Um, I'm sure Epler and Buck know about that because when you come in, you're trying to figure out what you're trying to take over. But they're not going to go out there and trash those guys. But again, I think what's important is they fixed it 
They know where they need to go, and they've got this interesting mix of coaches and experiences, and they've brought in some different types of players, and maybe they're not done, and that's that will be something that remains to be seen. So uh, that was my takeaway from the Buck Showalter Billy Epler press conference, and I'll leave you with this before we take a break. Billy Epler, from Thanksgiving till now, a 60-day run, has, you know, and this happened the year before, Remember, so historically, the Mets are kind of, the lockout has helped them because they were able to get themselves recalibrated and have the transaction side be put on the back burner so they could get their coaching staff and, like Epler said, work on some of the other departments in the organization. But he started around Thanksgiving when they started making those moves because they knew they were up against the December 2nd deadline. And they made a big move with Max Scherzer, so that wasn't an easy one. All the way to 60 days later, having the coaching staff, the manager, first the manager, then the coaching staff. I mean... That is Yeoman's work, and he deserves a ton of credit being able to put together what looks to be a promising group, a promising group, in that short span of time. That is a whirlwind and a much better job than the Alderson, Porter, Zach Scott group did with um, a little bit more infrastructure in place the year before. Coming in, I mean, even though it was a whirlwind and they got rid of Omar and Brody and what have you. Um, So I think... Epler deserves a ton of credit. Early returns are good. We like the mix. Positive vibes. All we need is for the owners and the MLBPA to come to an agreement. We don't control that. But Billy Epler was very bullish, if you listen close enough, and you'll hear the clip after this break. He was very bullish about his current roster. And I decided to take a look at it a little deeper because I have so, I, I like the Mets. I like the team. I like what's going on in terms of the organization as a whole. But I still have some concerns about the roster. So how good is this roster as is? Because Epler indicated maybe they're done going after whales. Maybe they're going to go and fish in a smaller pond and complement the roster. So we're going to take a look at the roster, and we're going to do some fun with numbers, the Talking Mets Mike Silva style, right after this. And, and Billy, it's a lockout, but the fans are anxious to see this team on the field in, in 2022. Is this a playoff team in your mind? Is this a team that possesses championship timber? Yeah, I would. Th- this this club is uh, is is well positioned now. As is, um, it can always be better. Um, that's some some of my own wiring um, is to you know always seek improvement. Um, you know, in in kind of all aspects. So uh, where where we can find opportunities to be better. We will explore those and seize those opportunities as they come. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I I really like to do um, is, you know, about a week or two before um, spring training um, ends, uh, you know, the over-under totals are are posted um, publicly. Um, I prefer the outside view. Um, I know we're good, Um, but I – I prefer to to get the outside view, um, to to uh, to kind of set those uh, set set things ex- from an exterior standpoint. But internally, um, you know, we, we feel good about where we are, um, but also acknowledge there's always room to improve. All right, we're back. So you heard from Billy Epler and his thoughts, and he sounded wasn't Brody Van Wagen and chips the center table 
come get us, which everybody makes fun of, by the way. And I really thought the Mets needed that. I thought, again, when you have a salesman, basically, an agent, former agent running the team that needed to inject some positivity with the dark cloud over the organization, that's what you're going to get. Anyway, doesn't matter. I thought Billy Epler uh, was very erudite in how he pointed out, uh, look, it's a good team. We could always make improvements. I'd like to see what the outsiders think. I'd caution on one thing with the outsiders. I, it's depending on the publication. I think there's so many r- relationships and biases in the media that I don't always trust. And I know Vegas doesn't necessarily care about you know an analytics team versus you know a non-analytics team. But but there's always that narrative that is is part of where everybody's feelings are. You know, when the Mets sign Max Scherzer, Vegas loves that. They're going to improve their odds of winning the World Series. But I could make the argument that although they're better World Series odds, uh, maybe not to the degree that Vegas. Anybody can make that. So I would caution uh, Billy from really taking the outsider's thoughts too seriously. But maybe he's not talking Vegas or Sports Illustrated. Maybe he's talking about, you know, his peers and what, you know, he's hearing through the grapevine uh, throughout the uh, the industry. Now, what I did is this. So I went to the Mets. First, I, wa- I wanted just to, to refresh because we really haven't been talking a hell of a lot about the actual team. We've been talking Keith Hernandez, retired numbers, Mets what if, Hall of Fame, all that stuff. And, um, you know, now we're getting back to the, the team. So I said, let me see how many guys are actually on the 40-man roster. Well, the Mets have 39 guys on the 40-man roster. One is Joey Lucchese, who undoubtedly will go on the 60-day uh, DL and open up a roster spot. So, I mean, he's recovering from Tommy John. Who knows when he's back? He's not going to be back before the All-Star break, we know. And I, I don't know if you'll see him at all in, uh, you know, 2022. So the Mets are going to have a couple of spots open on their uh, 40-man roster to go out and sign some free agents. And we know they need a lefty. I mean, names like Andrew Chafin have come up and, and so on and so forth. That's not really... Um, I would say big game fishing, but it does not sound in listening to Epler talk at the Zoom press conference with Buck that they're going to be in the Schwaber sweepstakes, the Rod- uh, Carlos Rodone sweepstakes, the Clayton Kershaw sweepstakes, uh, the Chris Bryant sweepstakes. He seems to like this team, and I think, and even with going around the fringes, you're still going to probably be hugging a $300 million payroll uh, because of the luxury tax and what have you. Uh, I think they're pretty much done, and what it sounds like is they're going to go and try to fill in with the bullpen and maybe try to trade for a starter, and that's more likely where they can go. But how good are the Mets right now? So without speculating, you know, we could sit here and speculate, oh, can they go out and get one of the Oakland trios? Um, You know, it's probably, you know, is Dom Smith the guy you could trade for those guys? I like, you know, should we trade Jeff McNeil? You know, these are all things we could talk about. But I wanted to talk about the team as is because we've, there's really no point in speculating until after the lockout is over. So we'll put that aside. Yes, the Mets more than likely are going to need another starter. They're going to have to go the trade route probably if they want to get a good, impactful one. They're going to need bullpen, and they could get bullpen on the uh, free agent market. It looks like they're okay with their offense right now. We'll see. I mean, that's the part that maybe is the most debatable because of the fact that you're bringing back Actually, not everybody, because Javi Baez is no longer in the equation. You're bringing back a lot of the same characters that didn't get the job done. Well, I shouldn't say that. Conforto as well. So, 
looking at the current roster, what I did is I went to roster resource. The Mets are going to have a couple of spots open to, let's just assume, improve around the fringes, bullpen, and whatnot. And right now, the starting lineup, and you guys know it, mechanic, catcher, Alonzo at first, McNeil at second, Lindor at short, Escobar at third, Nimmo in left, Marte in center, Marcana in right, and I'm putting Cano as the DH. I know everybody gets, I always get crazy tweets at me. Anytime I post a Cano, he hit a triple in the Dominican Winter League uh, last night. I mean, the, the outfielder played the ball poorly, so maybe in, a, in the big leagues it'd be a double. Or maybe a single or a good outfielder. But who cares? He, 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 every, I mean, I'm not watching. I'm not a scout. But it doesn't look like he's got nothing left. Cano could hit. And, if, and, I, and I feel pretty confident there's going to be a DH. So Cano could hit. We know that. So that's your lineup. And then you have a bench. And I'm going the 13-12 theory. Mets will carry 12 pitchers. They'll carry 13 offensive players. With a DH, you don't need any more than that. You basically need a backup catcher and uh, an infielder, an outfielder, and and maybe somebody you could... Uh, you know, pinch hit in a big spot if you have a weak hitter in the lineup. Mets have a pretty good lineup, even with what they have right now. So you got Thomas Nito on the bench, Luis Guillerme is a you know glove type, JD Davis a bat. He's maybe your lefty righty split with Cano at the DH, and Dom Smith who's going to caddy for Alonso. Maybe get some time in the outfield if there's an injury uh, to one of the three. Obviously, Nimmo's always injured. So there's your offensive group. Then your rotation right now. Again, let's assume, just like Billy Epler talked about at the Zoom press conference, this is what the roster is. You have Max Scherzer, you have Jacob deGrom, you got Taiwan Walker, you got Carrasco, and then some combination of Tyler McGill and David Peterson are going to fight for that fifth spot, you would think. And then, then you're going on to, I'm not even going to get into the depth right now because that's another conversation. That's, that's closer to spring training type of conversation. And then there's the bullpen. Who's in the bullpen? Well, right now there's no lefties. There will eventually be lefties. So one of these guys who has options won't be there. But you have Edwin Diaz as your closer. You have Trevor May and Julio uh, Julio Lugo. Uh, Seth Lugo. May he rest in peace. Julio Lugo passed away earlier this offseason. Uh, Seth Lugo and Trevor May as your uh, setup guys. Seven and, eight, seven and eight guys. Some combination thereof. Then you have Miguel Castro and Drew Smith. And Jake Reed, who showed some flashes in the short spurt at the end of the year. Uh, Sean Reed Foley, who did some nice long work early in the year before he got hurt. And Trevor Williams, who's interesting because he could swing into the rotation or be a long guy. It'd be interesting how they play him, but he's in the mix too. So maybe I shouldn't say Miguel Peterson, Trevor Williams, or some uh, combination thereof. Um, So there's your roster right now. And I said, I'm going to go to Fangraphs, and I'm going to take a look at Wins above replacement, the average career averages of this group. Then I was going to take what this, the guys that were there last year. I can't add the guys that aren't, the guy, and the ones that aren't. What did they do in 2021? What does that look like? And then what did some of the best teams in baseball from a wins above replacement perspective in 2021, what did it look like for them? And how does the current Mets stack up? This now. Nobody's going to, and I'm going to put this out there. This is not high level thinking. I'm not pretending it to be high level. So I don't want to get any emails from you go, you know, Silva, you, 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 you sat on that podcast and you acted like you were some big time analytics guy. No, I'm not. I'm not a big time analytics guy. I cannot calculate any of this stuff. I understand the numbers, what they mean. And I think there's a, a fun in, in, in um, playing around with them in the manner that we're doing. But nobody's going to ever accuse me of being Ben Zosmer. 
I'm not vying for a job in the Mets analytics department. Look, I remember that, uh, you know, a website, Amazing Avenue. You guys might go to it. Uh, I haven't gone to it in years. It's just not my cup of tea anymore. But when they first came out, they 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 had some really interesting stuff. And this is way before analytics was big. You're talking about 2007, 2008. And one year they did a, a war breakdown of the Mets roster. I think it was 2008 or 2009. I think 2008 maybe. And they showed why exactly the 2008 Mets wound up winning 88 games or whatever it was, wound up where they were, and they didn't underachieve. Now, you know, obviously, you can make all those arguments. They lost here, they lost there. They probably should have won about 93, 94 games. But the the point of the exercise was the numbers are the numbers. Now, what I find interesting about fan graphs is that none of the teams, when you look at their war, ever equal up to the actual wins they have. It's far less, which goes to show there's so much randomness and a team that's going to win 100 games versus 70 games or what have you. But look, everything is equal. So we're taking basically the total wins above replacement from the top or playoff contender teams in 2021. And that's pitching and offense together. Um, we're then taking uh, the Mets' current roster and seeing what their average over their career is. Basically total war for their career. You know, if you did, you know, 10 war in your five years in the league, that's a two. And I know service time, I'm not getting overly complicated here. And then I'm taking a second thing and say, where do those same guys wind up in 2021 versus their career average, which I'm using for this exercise to speculate what they'll do in 2022. I'm not going to any projection systems. I don't care about the projection system. Now, granted, there's probably one to two wins that I didn't count tabulate for pitchers hitting or maybe some, you know, a Brandon Drury type or uh, you know someone who came for a cup of coffee and maybe got a tenth of a point of, of win shares or what have you. But you get the, the idea. So last year, the Dodgers and the Giants, benchmarks in the National League, their hitters and their pitchers combined for uh, the Dodgers over 56 uh, wins above replacement and the Giants about almost 52 wins above replacement. So, And then the Astros, the pennant winners in the American League, were almost 51. So there's your, you know, the best of the best. Your top win team, pennant winner in the other league, that's the benchmark. So that's your top teams. Now, you look at the uh, some of the other competition in the National League East, well, the Phillies were about 36 and a half and the Braves were 38. The Brewers, another contending team in the National League, were a shade over 45, 45.8, almost 46. And the Cardinals, who had a great run, what, they went 15 or 16 in a row at the end of, in, in the middle of September, were at 36.9. They were in the muck. And I'll throw you one because they're across town, the Yankees were 40.5. So there's your war. That's pitching, 2021 pitching. So where does the current Mets stack up? Because that's all we have. We know they need a, more pitching. They need a, their rotation. I'll get to that in a minute. We know they need a lefty in the bullpen. I'd like to see them beef up the bullpen. And and we're questioning the offense. But if the current roster, the names that I threw out there just a few minutes ago, do their average wins above replacement for their career, an average for their career, which range from guys like Jake Reed, Sean Reed Foley, Miguel Castro, Drew Smith doing virtually no war, maybe a tenth of a point, to guys like Lindor, Scherzer, and DeGrom nearly counting for 15 wins combined 
if they perform at their average, the Mets have 42.6 wins above replacement win shares right now. That's with no Baez, who's probably worth two to three. That's with no Aaron Loop, who had a career year and almost, you know, one and a half, 1.6 actually uh, wins above replacement. So they're smack in the middle of all those teams. They're not quite the Dodgers and the Giants level. They're not the Astros level, but you could probably argue they're just as good as the Yankees. They're certainly right there with the Braves and the Phillies, and maybe they're a shade beneath. I mean, the Brewers, they're, they're, you know, they're hanging in there not too far from the Brewers. And then, you know, they're a little bit better than the Cardinals and whatnot. So right now, it is fair to say that, um, you know, I don't think the Mets are a prohibitive favorite, favorite for anything, and I would not... I would not expect them in the National League East to have any kind of, uh, I mean, maybe, because sometimes everybody kind of, they get excited about off-season hot stove, and sometimes they overrate teams in predictions. But I think the Braves have proven, especially after they looked dead and buried last year, that until, and especially if Freddie Freeman comes back, that maybe they're not a, a dominant team that can't be beat, but they're, you know, they're a team that's won a championship, and uh, until you beat the champs, and, and usually it takes a lot to beat the champs, it takes a few knockdowns to beat the champs, they should be considered the favorite. I mean, fair enough. Even though the Mets may be on paper. Uh, and, and remember, the Braves' numbers from last year have Freddie Freeman in it. And they also remember to have only half a season or so of uh, Ronald Acuna, which they'll only have a half a season of Ronald Acuna this year. Maybe a little bit more. Um, so the Mets are... And, 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 pretty good shape there now you take the same now you ask yourself what did that same group do the year prior on their actual results for 2021 so that's not an average actual results they were slightly less 40.3 a couple of wins less again you're looking for one to two wins so maybe you know the pitcher getting a hit a home run you know some depth and whatnot so you're looking at the Mets are in a pretty good place they're right there with other contenders but they're not quite where the big boys lie. When the big boys are, and I would say the you know they're there with the Braves because the Braves won. But I think when you say the big boys from a regular season standpoint, you have the Dodgers, the Giants, um, you know the Astros. And look, you know who would have thought the Giants, a team that was kind of like a veteran team rebuilding, would be put in there. So this stuff all is you know gravy. It means nothing when it's really all said and done. But the, the benchmark is the Dodgers. The Dodgers have been good for many many years. So. That 56 win share, the Mets are still way, way, way off from that. Way off from that uh, in terms of performance. So now that I had fun with numbers and, and maybe you're rolling your eyes, you're like, that was dumb, Mike. You know, you, you, that was juvenile math. I'm just taking, I'm literally taking a pad while I'm sitting here, um, in, 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 at, you know, making notes for the show and I'm playing around with it. You know, that's it. I mean, I, I, it's nothing more than that. It really isn't. Uh, and I thought it was interesting. And, and believe me, as we get further into this lockout, we're not going to have any kind of former Mets come on or what-if scenarios. I mean, what are we going to talk about? We're going to speculate on what pitcher the Mets are going to trade for 52 times? You know, we might we might have to get into some minor league uh, conversation. But um, anyway, so here's where I see the current roster. As I look at it holistically, just from uh, a standpoint of... Uh, you know, baseball. Forget about what the win shares are. Um, they're a playoff hunt team. I would not give them the division. I wouldn't give them anything. They have to prove that they're 
that they could compete with the big boys. They didn't. They were they were annihilated by the Dodgers and the Giants. Um, they still struggled against the Braves. They were better against the Braves this year, but they struggled, uh, especially when it counted. So there's a lot of work for this team to do. Uh, the one thing I'm going to tell you that off the bat stands out to me is the depth that I'm concerned about. And, you know, you look at and you go to the 40-man roster right now. Now, last year, the Mets, and, and look, they can still make moves. I know that. And also, by the way, uh, one disclaimer, I should have said this before, and I'll say this throughout uh, when spring training starts again, I'm not going to, I'm going to assume health. I can't speculate on health. I could tell you I'm worried about Scherzer and DeGrom because of their age. I could tell you I'm worried about Nimmo. We know their history. But I'm not going to sit here and, and figure out what their health is going to be or look like uh, at all. I, I look at last year, and I see names like Kevin Pillar, Jonathan Villar. I mean, even Brandon Drury came up and got some big hits in his cup of coffee. I saw veterans come in and contribute. And... You know, they could still get those kind of guys, and it'd be interesting to see, it'd be interesting to see with the lockout, the impact it'd have on veterans. I mean, look, you saw Kyle Sager walk away. You saw Francisco Liriano walk away. And you have to wonder, would these guys have walked away if there wasn't a lockout? What other veterans are going to maybe just say, hey, eh, I don't want to do this thing anymore? COVID protocol, family, all sorts of things that are not normal uh, in a regular baseball year that you lose talent that you could pluck from. Now, could you grab those guys middle of the year? It's possible in May, June, they get the itch and they work out. But right now, you know, I'm looking up and down the the, the roster and, um, I mean, look, Jordan Yamamoto was hurt and he should be available. So there's some pitching depth there. Uh, when it comes to, uh, the infield, you're relying on a Mark Vientos, Ronnie Mauricio's on the 40 man, but he's not going to see any, any light of day. um, Travis Blankenhorn, I don't know if he's going to be on the roster. Uh, they they got Khalil Lee, who showed a good glove, but couldn't hit the side of a barn in his uh, brief time. And, uh, you know, who's this Nick Plummer, this great uh, minor league guy? You know, this great minor league player that, you know, didn't get a shot with his prior organization. Was it the Reds? The Cardinals. Cardinals. It was Cardinals, right? A pretty good organization. So I don't see the veteran depth. Now, maybe that's something they'll address after the lockout. So that's first concern. Um, rotation, this is a team built on DeGrom and Scherzer. We know that. DeGrom and Scherzer are hurt like DeGrom was last year or compromise, big trouble. The, the whole fabric of this short-term contender are those two guys. And you want them healthy for a short series because quite possibly uh, you could get them four times in a seven-game series, not quite sure in a five-gamer and you want to make sure that Scherzer doesn't conk out like he talked about, like he did with the Dodgers. Uh, both have had time on the disabled list the last couple of years for various either elbow or shoulder situations. You hope they're healthy. And, 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 and again, it goes back to what I said. I can't factor in health. We're assuming they're healthy. But after that, is there anybody, in your opinion, that's as good as Marcus Stroman? Now, I'm not saying they should. Look, we know there was clubhouse things. You heard about that. But Taiwan Walker, Carlos Carrasco, who hasn't been a good pitcher in a long time, a long time, about four years. I said that last year. Hasn't pitched consistently at well for a long time. And then the combination of Trevor Williams, McGill, and Peterson. None of those guys are as good as Stroman. 
who got a somewhat reasonable deal. And now you're going to have to maybe trade to get someone good as or better than Stroman. I think they may need that. I mean, you know, McGill and Peterson are good depth pieces. Uh, I'm not sure I'm ready to say a team that could, uh, you know, win a division. They can make the playoffs, but win a division can go to war with McGill and Peterson uh, starting the year off as their number five. We'll see. And I like McGill. He's got some good stuff. But, you know, we have to see. Uh and then you go to the the bullpen, and we know they'll go. Well, I mean, they have to go out and get a lefty. I know there's no more uh, Lugie, but you want some lefty that can navigate some of the bigger, you know, guy that could also be nice to get righties out too. Uh, we know that Loop had a career year, and maybe they weren't going to give him that deal that they gave that you know Anaheim gave, but that's a big loss because I think Loop stabilized that bullpen. Now the bullpen was good in 2021, I think, also because of the. Uh, the defense, and the defense was good mainly because analytics and positioning. And Loop might have benefited from that, so we'll see. But when you go up and down that bullpen, and you look at the bridge to Diaz, and we know Diaz, I think Diaz is a guy that has to prove that he could shake off the blown saves when they happen. Um, He has to prove that he can make... And he's gotten some big, big saves, but he that he could do it more consistently. And leading up to him, shaky, shaky, shaky. Miguel Castro in the sixth inning, very shaky. I'm not a Miguel Castro fan. Still too many walks. Seth Lugo was nowhere near the Seth Lugo that we remember. Nowhere near. You know, he had the injury, and then he came. And Trevor May was uh, less than stellar. I mean, he had some good moments, and he seemed to pitch better as you know as the year went on. Uh, we knew going in he was home run prone, but it took some time for him to adapt, and he was not consistent. Nobody, you know, Lugo, May, the only one that was consistent in that bullpen was Loop, and I think he covered up because he pitched so much, and he even did openers and two, three inning stints. I mean, Loop could have covered up some of the slumps in the absence of Lugo, and, you know, for a while there, you you did get guys like Sean Reed Foley and Tommy Hunter, uh, you know, come in and kind of give you some innings, and 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 maybe you know even Miguel Castro had actually a good start to the year, but the bullpen right now to me I was concerned about it last year and then it pitched way better than I could have thought. But to me right now it's very shaky. And then ultimately, the offense will it be better? Because for the offense, as I said earlier, to be better, you're relying on uh, a lot of the current group that failed last year. Without Conforto, by the way, and without Baez, you want uh, McNeil to improve and go back to pre-2021 status. You want Lindor to be able to handle New York, and there still seems to be these throwaway lines that Joel Sherman or somebody had said that he never really wanted New York. Well, he's here now. This whole marriage thing happened. Uh, Cano hasn't played every day for two years. It was a a shortened season the last time he played. I like his bat. I'm bullish on it, but you 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 can't. Really, I mean, could you really? His his career average uh, win shares is almost four. You're not you're not you're not going to see that with him being a DH. And then Brian McCann, I liked him behind the plate as a catch and throw, but could he give you a little bit more? I mean, the Brian McCann that you uh, Brian McCann, James McCann, the James McCann you saw uh, was the the guy that got designated for assignment on the offensive side at times, and maybe he's the poster child for some of this analytics overload. 
Did I call him Brian McCann when I did the lineups before? Man, I'm dating myself. Jeez. Really dating myself on that. So, and I think, and I said this, and maybe we'll examine this more as the offseason, and there's nothing you could do about it now. I would have felt much better about this lineup with uh, Baez in it. I know it might have moved McNeil to a DH spot or possibly put Escobar into a super sub mode, but uh, I personally think he wanted to, I think he wanted to play shortstop and, and, and it would have to take a much big uh, overpay. And I understand why the Mets may, may have walked away from it, but if they could have gotten him to play second with a deal they got, he got from Detroit, I, I might've considered it uh, again, water under the bridge. So you're relying on an offense to be better uh, just on the fact that they can't be much worse, that you've taken away some of the overload of coaching they received. Um, so to me, there's a significant questions here. Now, I'm not going to just be totally negative. I don't want to be old Debbie Downer here. It's a much more diversified offense with Starling Marte, Mark Canna. Um, I, I definitely think that, that that it's not a home run or nothing offense like you've seen at times in the past. I think they're much better defensively, especially as they put Nimmo on left. You've got this analytics department uh, that Zosmer's put together that was able to uh, basically improve the defense just by using. Maybe that's the one part of analytics in 2021 that they need more of because I think that's why the defense was really good. Positioning. And, um, you know, that starting pitching, that one-two punch is lethal. If those guys are who you think they're going to be, you're not going to have many long losing streaks. And when you face them in a series, you're probably going to win that series. And you could probably survive some bad offensive days when those guys pitch because they're going to shut down the other team. So I've done a few things here. I played fun with numbers and gave you where the Mets stack up against the competition based on the competition's 2021. I gave you the holistic view, and I was probably more pessimistic and negative, and I think I'm trying to be balanced here because I think it's easy to get excited about the Mets. New manager, new GM, Max Scherzer. Uh, they had, they were in such a negative rut from the Jared Porter time uh, in January of 2021 up until Thanksgiving when Stephen Matz said, no, I changed my mind. That now they've gone through similarly to last year, like the uh, when Steve Cohen took over, the sixty golden days where they don't seem to be criticized and they have good press conferences. So maybe I'm trying to dampen some of the enthusiasm, but you know, ultimately, I think this is a team that's uh, in the mix. I think they need some work. Uh, I wouldn't be so ready to turn away. I'd go. Uh, here's what I would do. I would, if I were Billy Epler. I look for value as soon as the bell rings and the and the uh, lockout ends because there's going to be guys that are freaked out about getting a job and they're not going to have much time to get a job. They may only have a week. So you may get some good value that will still make you a $300 million payroll team but won't make you a $350 million payroll team for some of the talent you'll get. Uh, I would focus on uh, you know seeing what you can do on, on the offensive side if anybody wants a pillow contract. I definitely would get into that reliever mix quick and see what's in there. And uh, I wouldn't discount guys like Kershaw, guys like Carlos Rodon, uh, Rodon, I sorry, Carlos Rodon, uh, so quickly. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that uh, because you never know what kind of contract they'd sign on in one year. I think that's the only way the Mets reel in a big fish if it's a pillow type contract or something very, very reasonable. Other than that, you're gonna. It's. I think it's going to be hard to trade for a good starter. And if you trade Jeff McNeil after what I just went through with that lineup, you feel good about that lineup? 
without Jeff McNeil in it? Do you feel good about that lineup with Jeff McNeil of 2021? I don't. Jeff McNeil is playing a big part in that lineup. Big part. Big part. So there's my fun with numbers. There's my reaction to Epler saying he feels good about the team. I feel good about the Mets. But similar to last year, I still I just feel like there's some big question marks that I'd like to see play out a little bit in spring training and how much spring training will we have. And going into the season, it'll take some time before I completely am ready to say this team is anything more than in the mix, in the muck. And if there's extra playoff teams, I feel, okay, they could definitely make a wild card play-in tournament. But uh, I'm not ready to put them with the big boys yet. Let's put it that way. And I'll say the same thing going into spring training. I'm not ready to put them with the big boys yet, but I like what they've done to move closer. Remember, this is a 77-win team. You need another 13 to 14 to 15 wins to be considered part of at least legitimate big boys. And 90 to 92 wins is low when you talk about muscle teams like the Dodgers. But at least 90 plus wins put you in the mix where you should be able to make a play. You should be able to make the playoffs in most years. And if you have expanded playoffs, come on, then 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 there's really a top heavy league. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Talking Mets podcast here. And uh, I just want to end on a somber note as uh, the news came down earlier today. Former Met uh, Jeff Ennis uh, left us way too soon, passed away uh, from cancer. I know there was some GoFundMe trying to get him out of Houston to get him back home and Jay Horowitz uh, shared the the the, the not-so-great news, and that's the second member, uh, maybe I'm, uh, of the Mets family that passed away this offseason as Pedro Feliciano, and I guess, you know, it kind of, it makes you, uh, you know, puts things obviously in perspective about the game, but when guys that you watch, I mean, Pedro Feliciano wasn't that long ago. I mean, 2006 seems like yesterday, pass away, it just... It starts to make you feel a little bit old watching this game because while you're watching it as a young person and in your teens, like you don't think of the guys on the screen as being you know anything. It's almost like they're superhuman. So, um, sad situation. Uh, our thoughts here at the Talking Mets podcast with the Ennis family, uh, Jeff, far too soon. A guy that I was actually friends with on Facebook, and I've always thought about getting him on the show, you know and. He actually went on the Mets Rewind show with John Struble, and I highly recommend uh, you listening to that because I thought Jeff had some interesting stories. Um, he actually even pitched, I think, against Michael Jordan in the minor leagues, if I'm not mistaken. So a couple of really interesting stories. Uh, and Mets Rewind, as you guys know, uh, John was on the program a couple of weeks back on our What If show, which got some rave reviews. Uh, he does a great job. So um, a little bit of a somber note on the way out. So what's next for the Talking Mets podcast? I have to tell you guys, quite honestly, uh, I'll be watching the lockout this week. I'm uh, going to try to, uh, you know, hopefully they'll get this resolved. We're really getting into that dead zone. I usually take off for the Super Bowl. I don't think I'm going to do that this year. 
because um, I don't know. We'll see. Sometimes we take Super Bowl Sunday off because do you really want to listen to Talking Mets on Super Bowl Sunday? So that's the only thing that may change. But, you know, depending on the lockout, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, you don't know. Uh, you might have wild transactions on Super Bowl Sunday because uh, everything's opened up and people need to sign. So this whole lockout thing that's going to be 60 days in in just a, a few days, middle of this week, is determining a lot. Determining a lot. But, uh, look, this is going to be a struggle at times. Maybe we go into the vault. You're getting really into a weird time now because there's really nothing to talk about. But rest assured, I've always been able to come up with something interesting. Uh, I've been... Uh, some people have come up to me and applauded me for that. That's one of the things I pride myself on. I will continue to bring you a show weekly. Other than Super Bowl Sunday, we'll talk about that. We'll think about that. And um, we'll see. You know, I'll let you know. You'll you'll find out soon enough, uh, you know, what's going on in the schedule. Go to at Mike Silva Media on Twitter. You can send me an email, whatever, and uh, we'll figure it out. But I want to thank everybody for tuning in to this edition of the Talking Mets uh, podcast. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Like I said before, you can send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire if you want to interact with me. Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast pretty soon. Till then, take care, everybody. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.